everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor, and welcome to another weekly recap, but this time we have quite a bit to cover, from realignment to football coaches meeting with the media, we have quite a little bit to cover, but we'll try and do it in a concise manner because I'm not trying to have an hour and 30 minute episode. Nor am I. <laughs> so let's just dive straight into the realignment segment. For the uninitiated, this happened the day after our last episode released on a Saturday. So you've probably heard of it by now. So the only thing we can really give is our opinions on it. But the basic news is that the, I don't want to call them the four, four corners because someone will get mad, but... Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are all joining Colorado in the Big 12 for next season. So that that pretty much alongside Oregon and Washington going to the Big 10, the Pac-12 currently has four schools. This isn't a Pac-12 podcast, otherwise we would slightly eulogize them. Instead, what do you think about the addition of the... the we already talked about Colorado. So we can talk about the the other three schools instead. What do you what do you think about adding Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State? Uh, I mean, I think it's what we all thought was going to happen. I mean, even going back two years, you and I were talking about even before all this Pac-12 stuff started. When we did the original realignment episode, we we considered the possibility of Arizona and Arizona State joining because they were culture fits, and uh, Arizona. Had, I, I think they're going to be a good fit. Uh, Arizona State. I think their fan base is still going to be a good fit, despite their blunders at an administration level. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's more just uh, poor leadership than it is reflective of their whole fan base, Yikes. which is true in most cases anyways. So um, Arizona, Arizona State, I'm not going to be super worried about them uh, as long as they figure it out athletically outside of Arizona basketball, because neither of them have been particularly threatening in a lot of areas as of late. Mm-hmm. Utah, a lot of their fans have been annoying, but competitively, they're a really good ad, at least right now. Yeah. Uh, they have a good fan base. They bring in a regional rivalry, which I absolutely love. Holy war, baby. Yeah, that's a fantastic, fantastic rivalry. One of the best in college football. Uh, so really happy uh, about that. Uh, so all in all, it's strong ads uh, there for the Big Twelve. They probably they all are at worst uh, revenue neutral in terms of what they add, and we may even see slight increases in the future because of the presence of some of those schools, depending on how they perform. Uh, so all in all, I'm pretty happy with how it went. The idea of Oregon and Washington was really nice for a little while. Uh, uh, the possibility of that happening was always pretty low, but it was nice to just have that brief little moment of saying, you know, maybe it could happen. And, of course, they went to the Big Ten, uh, sacrificing current money for future revenue, uh, yeah. which is a totally fair and good decision by them. Uh, but it all in all has worked out shockingly well for the Big 12 so far yeah. in this realignment. Uh, yeah. segment knock on wood everyone <laughs> but uh, yeah it's uh, really gone well here uh, for now and I imagine the Big 12 still looking around uh, still looking outward but I like these uh, um, three out of four corners schools that we've added <laughs> that's a good way of putting it 3.5 corners Yeah. but yeah I, I I really like the ads 
just in terms of like general culture. Plus, I think it's good for the long-term survival of the pe- the Big Twelve. Not so the Pac-12. It is decidedly not good for the future of the Pac-12. But I, I think just those ads uh, on the aggregate are good ads. You know, Utah's a really good football ad. Arizona's a really, really good basketball ad. Arizona State doesn't have that one thing that they're amazing at yet. I know they have previous basketball pedigree. Granted, that was from, like, the 90s and 80s, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, their football has been good at times as well. Yeah. Um, They have a huge undergrad enrollment, I think. Uh, And they're in Arizona, so... They're, it's going to be warm all year, so in theory, they should be a program that could thrive in a conference that really supports football. Uh, we'll see if they end up having a full commitment uh, to trying to get to that point. I'm not, comp- I'm not convinced completely yet, but at minimum, absolute worst case scenario, they're a fun road trip to watch uh, your team just stomp uh, another team in good weather. Yeah, because <laughs> Tempe's teams. actually really beautiful. Their stadium's actually built into a mountain. I told you this, and we yes. saw it on Microsoft Flight Simulator. That we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it in terms of realignment. told you it'd be short, because there aren't really yeah. many... We don't have any particularly nuanced takes about it. Mm-mm. We like the ads. Plus, it's been a week yeah. since it happened. Because, I mean, our last episode came out on a Thursday, mm-hmm. and then all the news dropped on Friday. And so, it's been a week since this happened, so... In today's day and age, that's old news. Mm-hmm. So it's been old news for five days at this point. So it's uh, it was cool that it happened, but it wasn't worth an emergency episode because the first domino had already fallen in Colorado, yeah. and this was more so a matter of time, I think. Yeah, it really did kind of feel like a, a matter of time, but like I said, not here to eulogize the pack. Maybe on a week where we have less to cover, we can talk about it, but this is not one of those weeks. But So now we're going to move into the thoughts about the coach pressers, which each coach, except for Kleiman, was given about five minutes-ish, and then Kleiman was given 25, 25, 30 minutes to talk with the media. And honestly, there wasn't a whole, whole lot to say. It's, it's kind of stuff that we've been hearing before anyway, but still just kind of going through what I, what we view as the sort of top line of everything else so we can come come up with anything that that stuck stood out to us as we talk about them more generally. The first thing that I noticed about Kleiman is Kleiman seems confident about just about everyone except, you know, maybe the safety room. Cause he seemed pretty he seemed plenty confident about how the corner room will shake out because there's so many good options there. But the of course we got the the alleged top three right, or at least it seems like with a VJ, Kobe, and uh, Siegel. It's pronounced Siegel, not Seigel. That's just one of many mispronunciations we've had. <laughs> but we got the top three for safeties right, but he did kind of seem like he was figuring out the depth, and I think he said as much that depth still needs to be figured out, but there are still pieces there. So I don't think the corner room is really the place where depth has the biggest questions. I really do think it's more that safety room. Yeah, because, I mean, corner, we... It's almost an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, 
uh, there's going to be guys there that probably deserve playing time that are going to get playing time. And the safety room, I'm still, I, I, I still think that once we get going in the season, the depth isn't going to be a huge problem. I think it's mainly just that it's inexperienced depth yeah. right now. Because, I mean, you and I both love Daniel Cobbs, and uh, there's plenty of other guys in that room as well to feel really confident about. Uh, that It's just going to take, you know, who are the next one or two guys that are going to step up, pretty much. And, I mean, we'll probably see some Jordan Wright at times at safety, it sounds like. You mentioned Jordan Wright is moving around a lot. He came here as a corner, but it sounds like he's pretty versatile, yeah. uh, which we know that Kleiman loves a versatile defensive back. Oh, he, he's moved plenty of corners uh, to safety, such as Coley McAllister. As a redshirt freshman, it sounds like we'll probably be seeing him. Uh, Nikendre Steiger, we saw him last year. I imagine we see him again this year. Yeah. There's potentially room for Jordan Perry to see the field. There's a lot of guys that you know you can look at and, and see making their way onto the field, especially early in the season uh, when we're really feeling out the depth. Uh, so I'm not super worried about it yet. Uh, mainly because I do think that that one line is really, really going to be good. That's a really strong one line. Yeah. Uh, especially with how much they've been talking about the development of Siegel. BJ Payne uh, playing huge snaps last year and starting those last few games, and Kobe Savage being back. Uh, there's a lot to really like about that one line, so I think the two lines going to shake itself out. Yeah. Plus, you still have uh, Jordan Perry. We had, we didn't see him last year, but I think he probably contributes this year. And you're right. Climate, it seems like one or two guys a year makes the transition from corner to you know that jack safety kind of role. Because Russ East was always a safety, but he became like that jack free safety. Uh, and Kendra Steiger was a corner. Jordan Wright was a corner. Jacob Parrish even played a tiny bit of that spot last year. He is a corner. And, of course, Josh Hayes went from corner to run support safety. So, I, I, I don't doubt... Like there, I don't doubt that there are pieces that will fill in at that safety spot, and it'll be fine. There's still just that bit of apprehension, you know, about... If you don't know the names and the orders of, of who's playing where, you just kind of have this unease about it, even if, like, you know that, okay, it doesn't really matter who's, like, number one or, like, number two, because it's going to be fine no matter what, and you kind of have to trust the coaching staff. But, yeah, the the other thing that he noticed was actually nose tackle was a position of strength and depth, which I, I can't say that I truly expected him to say that, because, you know, Technically, being three deep on nose tackle is about what you'd want because you only really have one nose tackle on the field at a time. Yeah. But I don't know. There's just something that feels weird about having a, a, th- a through line of three people being deep. That being said, Uso is a monster, will be a monster. Yeah. There's been so much talk about Uso this offseason. I'm expecting a uh, destructive year from him in a good way. And. Uh, then there's been a lot of talk about Damian Elalio as well. And then I'm imagining on that three line, you have Javon Banks, uh, who I, 
imagine we'll probably see in situational moments as well. It's probably Dehance again at minimum. Yeah, that's a situational pass rusher, like speed rushing nose tackle. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what we want uh, out of him. If we can get that out of him, I think that's a successful portal grab. Um, but yeah, him saying that, I was a little surprised to hear that, but I am pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, Uso isn't at this point much of a surprise because there's been so much positive said about him about him uh losing bad weight and uh getting stronger and uh getting more athletic uh getting uh, into better condition and uh basically just taking the step he needed to as a player to really become a, a viable number one uh nose tackle that can play uh, the lion's share of snaps mm-hmm. even though we'll probably see some damian Leo uh as well this year which Again, I do I do really like Damian Olaleo. Uh I just didn't expect him, I think, to be ready this quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a little ahead of schedule for me, but that's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you definitely take the quick development over you know slower development any day, even if it's unexpected. As long as it's positive development, I should yeah. say. Uh, the last thing that Kleiman said that really kind of stuck out to me that doesn't sort of step on the toes of the, the other press conferences would and that we're not going to mention later but he also mentioned that there were about seven receiver six or seven receivers that they were consistently working through that he said legitimately could get snaps and of course you have your top three slash four that we discussed of keegan johnson philip brooks rj garcia and jane jackson that really does kind of leave questions for who the other three are the way he said it, it doesn't seem like Sterling is in on that much. He still needs another year. See, I kind of got the opposite from him. Really? The, the way he said it, I it really sounded like to me he said that he was in the mix, which was surprising to me. Uh, but I, it, to me, it felt like he said that Sterling was in the mix. Now, I could have totally misheard it, because you're getting a completely different interpretation than I did. <laughs> and But if Sterling was in the mix... I'm just going to choose not to doubt it. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for a locket to prove that they aren't an elite K-State wide receiver. So, Because for now, they've all been you know, incredible. And even though Sterling's recruiting profile wasn't fantastic, uh, there wasn't a ton there on the film, Tyler Lockett was a super late bloomer uh, in, in terms of uh, his athleticism. He, that really came along once he got to campus. Uh, so... TBD on that, I guess, but I'm very intrigued uh, by him bringing up Sterling. Uh, kind of out of nowhere, it felt like. Yeah. Well, he was asked about him. Oh, he was? Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't out of nowhere. But he did still kind of put him in... It sounded like, to me, the group that's kind of getting a little bit more run, mm-hmm. uh, which I felt like, honestly, to me, I was expecting probably two more years uh, of waiting for Sterling. But if he's more ready right now if he's developed from a speed standpoint uh that could really be something to look out for Uh, i don't think we'll see a ton of him this year regardless but he could be a garbage time guy and a situational guy as well if we think we have a matchup we like with him uh but no i was definitely a little surprised to hear him brought up with the uh, um higher names on the wide receiver depth chart, but pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Also, apologies if, like, two minutes ago you heard me, like, snap my own neck. 
<laughs> yeah, that was very impressive. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but... You paused was, for a second. It, it was one of the best neck pops I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I feel like that's the second time on an episode that I've, like, died snapping, like, popping my neck. Yeah, you, yeah you've got some good neck... I can't really do that as well, so... Well, that's because I, I have terrible posture. Oh. The air in my neck is begging to be freed. <laughs> I see. So... Alright, then maybe I guess I'm happy I don't have it then. <laughs> but, yeah, that was kind of what I took from, or what we took from the Kleiman presser. Moving on to, to Brian Anderson, the rest of them aren't in any particular order. Brian Anderson really likes the depth and the, the top two guys of Treshawn Ward and DJ Giddens. And uh, even Anthony Frias got a little bit of a mention, which is, like, it's good to hear that Tony Frias was mentioned. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of talk about what that means for a true freshman, like Joe Jackson, what it means for Joe Jackson later. <laughs> I don't know why I was trying to be evasive about, like, like there was another true freshman scholarship running back. But is there anything else that immediately comes to mind about Brian? Oh, other than his, do you want to talk about his answer about Deuce? Um, you, you go ahead and talk about that. Because his answer about Deuce really made me laugh. Because he said, it's like some the first question he was asked is like, so what's life like? How do you feel now that Deuce is gone? He's like, I feel great, and I like just kind of my brain sensed the funny and stopped listening for the next five seconds, where he elaborated that, you know, it's great because he still like used teaching tape for him, but he gets the opportunity to see other people have an opportunity to like grow and be that guy. But still, like, <laughs> you got to admit that for, for the, especially if your brain turns off whenever you hear something funny, you, you just hear, what do you think about Deuce leaving? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not what you expect initially. But, no, yeah, it was interesting that he brought up Frias, because uh, we had not really heard much of anything about him for a while. No. Uh, the last time we saw him was when he had that carry against Mizzou last year and then fumbled, and we did not see him after that, I don't think. I think no, we didn't. I think Shippers became the uh, garbage time back at that point. Uh, but Frias, it sounds like, is making a massive push to get on the field, which is awesome to hear because you and I both liked him as a uh, pretty much a pure power back. Yeah, bruiser. Yeah. So there was, there's a lot to like about him because uh, he's a situational guy, but he has a role, and he's going to be good at it. And uh, so if he can get on the field and uh, have productive snaps for K-State, then I think that's great. Yep, I agree. But he also mentioned that, you know, DJ, like he's trying to get DJ to step up into a, like being a leader role. And uh, that on the first, like it was straight up day one that no one could tackle DJ. <laughs> In practice, which yeah, it's good to hear. <laughs> that kind of sounds honestly right. I think with how his career progressed, because uh, there were rumors about him pretty early. Like mm-hmm. if you if you put your ear to the ground, people were talking about DJ uh, for a while, but it was uh, it was over a year until he saw the field. Which some of that is probably just the adjustment to D one football. It's hard to play as a true freshman at any position. So, he had he had to learn a lot. Plus, he was behind Deuce as well. So that unenviable position. <laughs> yeah, does not make it much easier. But yeah, it's a uh, DJ uh, trying to get him to step up into a leadership position. 
he seems like a pretty quiet guy. I imagine he's always going to be a lead by example sort of guy. Never seen him smile in my life. Yeah, maybe he's happy underneath, but we may never know. <laughs> but yeah, that that's kind of uh, Brian Anderson's presser. Next, we're going to talk about Matthew Middleton, the the new kid on the block, so to speak. Um, I, I kind of do. You want to talk about just like what you thought of Middleton on the whole. Yeah, I'll talk about it. Um, I really liked him. Uh, it was clear why we hired him, and it was two things that combined to make what you always want in a coach. Like, if you can make every coach like this, then they'd all be worth their salt. They'd all be making a ton of money. Uh, because Matthew Middleton, he's clearly a really great teacher, of the position uh, and he's also someone who has a, a natural uh, energy about him he's got he has a charisma but it's not like a Jerome Tang charisma where he's uh, very outward with it and it's very obvious it's just some it's a very understated charisma which is kind of interesting and very difficult to put off I think but he just you can tell by the way he talks he's very passionate about what he's doing uh, and he really likes his group, and that he's been enjoying learning uh, the wide receiver room and uh, getting to know them. Uh, but I really liked Matthew Middleton, and just that five-minute uh, presser with him, it made a, make a ton of sense why he was uh, brought on to join K-State. And hopefully he can be, knock on wood, the first receivers coach to spend more than a year at that position since, like... Mess. Spent two years there as receivers coach in OC. Was he really the... Uh, was he really receivers for two years? Mm-hmm. I thought Jason Ray did it for two years. Jason Ray was tight ends full... No, he... Wait. Because Mess was tight ends fullbacks before. And oh, I, and that's we, right. Yeah. Swap that last year. Yeah. And so I... But still, I... It's been a very tumultuous situation, the receivers coach uh, spot for K-State. There's not been much consistency there. Guys like Phil Brooks have had, like, five different Different receivers receivers coach. Hmm, yes, today I will not have any coaching continuity. Yeah, so... But it's... Middleton, he's from Kansas. There's a lot to like about him. Uh... Seems like a really great person, uh, a, a guy that can connect to K State really well. Uh, so I love the hire there, and uh, I think that he can really steer the room in a good direction. Hopefully, uh, help boost recruiting too, which has already been on an upswing. Mm-hmm. It was on an upswing even before he got here, but mm-hmm. even outside of the vibes that he gives off, which I agree, he does kind of have that that charisma that isn't necessarily trying to be. He's kind of that. Not necessarily introverted charisma, but he has a, a charisma about him that, you know, he's not outwardly trying to get everyone to be his friend. He just kind of is who he is. But, you know, he, Middleton's still getting into the groove of everything, which, you know, he's a first-year coach. He's been here for six, not even six months. Like Yeah, because he took a job at South Florida, and then when our job opened up, he came here. Because uh, he was hired there by Alex Galesh and uh, then came here. And uh, it's definitely, I don't think it's been six months. No, I, I think it's probably been more like four. Four or five, probably. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long, but he has not been here 
for a long time. Yeah. But, like, he's still getting into the groove of everything, but the number one thing that he noticed about the receiver room is the work ethic within the group. He especially pointed out, you know, Keegan Johnson being (laughs) really good, and then RJ always being willing to learn. Um... Which, you know, that, that sounds about right. But of of all of them, I feel like Middleton was probably the one that you could glean the second least from. And I think that's because he's still trying to figure everything out as well. Because he, he's probably still trying to figure out, okay, like, you know, these kids can work really hard. Which coaching style is, like, best for the majority of them? Because there are some coaches who will change their coaching style according to what they have. I'm not sure if Middleton's like that. I've never met him. <laughs> but it's still something to consider. But the fact that he was he liked the depth, he liked the work ethic, he you know, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um but Matthew Middleton, you know, like I said, really like the guy, really hopeful for what he can do, especially cuz he got hired by such generally bright offensive minds as he did. Brian LePack is Brian LePack. Like, there's there's not much to say there. He seems like he's the most well-spoken person out of every single room that he walks into. And and I'll let you kind of voice your comments about what you think about Brian LePack in, in a general sense. Because you, watching the interview, the first th- what was the first thing that you said after the interview was done? That he really seemed less like a coach and more like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what I got from Brian LePack, which he said something about like him and Ben Simmons' relationship being more like a partnership. Mm-hmm. But truly, the way his coaching style truly felt more like he was like less about being a rah-rah coach. And truly, it was like an educational thing for him. It, it was teaching people how to do something that he's passionate about, which... At its core is what coaching is supposed to be, but I think he really embodies that uh, to a higher degree than most coaches, uh, which uh, w- was surprising. But it makes sense because he uh, kind of worked his way, or he's been working his way through the staff. I think he's super intelligent from what I can tell. I think he's going to be an offensive coordinator pretty soon. I think he's going to be a head coach. Probably in the next 10 years. That was the second thing you said, and it I'd never thought about it at all until you said it. And then I wholeheartedly agree with you, because he already talks like he's a head coach. Yeah, he, he has a very quiet assuredness. I won't even say confidence, because I don't even want to put off the potential of me saying that I think he has like an arrogance about him, because not at all. He is very like matter-of-fact, very straightforward, and just assumes that the people he's talking to like are like as intelligent as he is, mm-hmm. like, and there, you can tell that he has future head coach written all over him, just because he is really good at interpreting interpreting questions, mm-hmm. uh, asking clarifying questions. Like at some point, someone asked about the relationship between Benson and Will. And he was, he like, was Will and he was like, "Do you mean Will Howard?" Because there's a Will Swanson in the tight end room, and he just got done talking about him. <laughs> yeah, so he he's uh, he knows when to clarify. He uh, is a very like he said, very 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 well spoken, 
there's a lot to like about Brian LePac. I hope he stays at K-State for a while. I'm not confident he will because I think he's probably going to end up being an offensive coordinator for a lower-level Power 5 here in the not-so-distant future. The best thing we can hope for to keep him around at K-State would require another coach leaving, I think, which would not be a fun situation either. No. But I... He, he seems like a brilliant offensive mind. There's a, I think there's probably a reason that if you look at the shots of Colin Klein in the coordinator booth, that Brian LePac is sitting right next to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's probably because they have very similar levels of creativity when it comes to calling offenses. Yeah, I agree. But uh, even outside of LePac himself, Ty, this is probably the one I gleamed the least from. Ben yeah. Sinnott's good. Will Swanson's going to be the backup. Um, the only really interesting insight was the story about Andrew Metzger, about how his spot, like when K-State offers someone, that it's a committable offer. Um, and they were just waiting for a spot to come open for Andrew Metzger and then called him and then Andrew Metzger committed. Yeah. Because the first spot was for Will Ancio. Yeah. Because uh, he'd already committed. I think by the time they had contacted Metzger, it seemed like. Yeah. And so... Um, I, I thought that was interesting because the Metzger recruitment publicly facing was really fast. Yeah. Like, it did not last long. But in truth, in the background, it had been going on for probably like seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. It sounded like uh, kind of off and on. And then it all just kind of came together quickly there at the end. So, you know, we it's, it's just an interesting perspective to have because we look at it um, as fans and I'm assuming most of the people listening do as well, as, oh, he got the offer, and then he committed like two weeks later. Wow, that was really fast. But it was not that simple. Mm-hmm. Because they had to wait to see if they had a spot open. They had to wait and see if he would decommit from Colorado when the coaching change happened. And when they tried to get him to stick around, they had to wait and see if he would recommit or come by. Then they had to decide if they wanted to offer him or not. They had to get him on campus for an official visit. And then they had to see if he wanted to stick it through because he visited, I think, another school. I think Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So there was there was a lot going on there that I think most people would understandably take for granted because until that interview, we didn't, we know, didn't know about that, it. Yeah, we didn't know that most of that was going on. Yeah, so that that was kind of the big gleaning factor from it. Connor Riley may have revealed the most. I was surprised by that. Yeah, which nor- he normally plays things really close to the vest, even though he's very frank about everything he says. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley loves the depth. You know, Kleiman said that the goal was, you know, having eight or nine offensive linemen who can play at any given time. Connor Riley sounds like he genuinely believes that he's already there. It's, and you can tell by the way he started talking about the center depth, because he named like four people who could play center. Yeah. Which, all right. But. Yeah, he he name dropped I think maybe nine or ten people that could play, which you know it's awesome. You know, in Duffy's absence since he's hurt, I don't. He sounded like it would probably be Willis that'd be playing right tackle at the time, which you know I, we've always been Andrew Lane gang truthers, but we're also not watching practices, so I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine part of it is that Carver Willis does have some additional experience over Lane Gang. He's been in the program for a while now, 
and we haven't seen much of him since 2020. Uh, we've, we've seen a bit of him in bits and pieces, but 2020 was really where he got most of his playing time, as far as I can recall. Uh, but he... Awful year. Yeah, because he, I think he was playing a little left tackle as a true freshman that year because we just could not figure out left tackle. But it was uh, uh, interesting to hear his name called. We've kind of heard a little bit about it because Christian Duffy is going to miss at least a game, it looks like, maybe two. Probably two or three. He may miss the non-con. Yeah, but they said it was a minor injury and he'll be back early in the year. Uh, but we don't know what early in the year means. Well, he also said the same thing about Scott. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so uh, Duffy, we won't see for... Probably at least a couple games. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Probably sounding like Carver Willis will be the guy to step in, which I'm pretty happy for him. He's uh, one of. The, I mean, I could we could go on the the obvious easy rant of in today's college football, nobody ever sticks around and you know develops and Boomer. stuff. Boomer. Boomer. Yeah, we could. Boomer. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> but it's just it's nice to see a guy get rewarded. Uh, not just for being around for a while, but for you know getting really good and developing and taking advantage of the opportunities given. Uh, and we may also see a few other guys mix in as well. We could see Andrew Langan, we could see uh, John Pastore, and a few other guys. We could see somebody slide into center and other guys get plugged in there. I, when they say they have eight or nine guys that can play, I really do. F- think that they're telling the truth i mean yeah because we can name them like yeah. we get, off the top of our head we can name them yeah so i mean the whole starting five from uh from last year kt levison cooper bb hayden gillum hadley panzer well taylor poitier and then slash hayden gillum and then christian duffy that's six right there and that's that's just the main line people. lane gang and lane willis hacked that's nine. And then you could probably throw in John Pastore there if you want to be generous. Ten. That's ten. <laughs> That's ten guys that I feel very confident in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's sort of the individual conferences. There were two really big winners in terms of who was getting name-dropped. That's Sam Hecht and Joe Jackson. Sam Hecht got name-dropped last year. And an honorable mention to Michael Capria for being called the strongest person in the offensive line room by Connor Riley. <laughs> yeah, which uh, does make sense. I've heard some rumors about that before, that he is super, super, super strong. Uh, and then Sam Hecht, we saw him a little bit last year. Not a lot, but he did sub in a handful of times. And we saw him in some garbage time as well um, as an interior guy. Uh, so he, yeah, he was a big winner there. It's uh, been nice to see uh, um, walk-ons are still kind of uh, getting some run in the offensive line room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, Joe Jackson. Uh, it's going to be tough for him to cut through the depth, especially with uh, Frias apparently really making a big push right now. Uh, but if he's talented enough to see the field, he's going to see the field. And I believe he probably is talented enough to see the field. I, I do agree with you on that. I mean, I'm glad. I'm so happy that I managed to to convert you into the. Yeah. the I, don't, I don't know what I was missing the first few times I watched his film because I just kept going back, and every time I was it was just more undeniable how good he is, and uh, he he's going to be a really great running back for K State, whether it's this year, or next year, or the year after. Joe Jackson's going to do some awesome stuff in a K State uniform. 
Yeah, I agree. So yeah, that's pretty much all of the press conference news, which means it's all of the normal news that we'll be covering, which means it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the wacky segment of the week. This week is if you had to pick one coach to swap sports and join another coaching staff, which coach are you choosing? That is a fantastic question. Is it for permanently or just this year? Permanent. Permanent. Interesting. If it was just this year, I was going to say put Jerome Tang on the women's basketball team. Uh, But I don't want to do that permanently. But I I would be fine at the one-year swap there. Uh, But instead, uh, I've had to um, pick a coach to swap sports. Man, that's a tough question. Um, I think maybe one of the better options just for fun i think i'll put jerome tang at baseball oh my goodness <laughs> gracious because the only reason i'm saying that right now is because i think he'd be a good recruiter because he's already a good recruiter for basketball and then he uh, uh has been seen on recruiting trips or like on trips to go like watch players play aau games he's been seen in a ba- uh, baseball jerseys uh, with uh, the rest of the staff. So that's my <laughs> only connections there. See, I am also taking someone from the men's basketball team. However, I am transferring them over to the women's basketball team. I'm going to put York Malagy on the women's team. Because isn't, don't they always cite Yurik as the, the big X's nose guy? Or am I thinking of someone else? It's either him or Rodney Perry. But I think they all it's kind Perry. of... They all do different stuff, I think. I think Perry handles the yeah. offense. Yeah. Rodney Perry is going to the women's <laughs> Rodney Perry, I hope you I hope you like women's basketball. Because mm-hmm. in my universe, you're the new X's and O's guy. <laughs> I think honestly that's not a bad pick at all. I would I would love to like guarantee some great offense this year uh, for the women's basketball team, take advantage of this fantastic roster. Uh, I I don't mind that at all. Mine was just stupid. So <laughs> so I'm glad you actually put some thought into yours. Yeah. Somebody needed to. Yeah, I which by the way, shout out to the women's basketball team getting ranked twenty fourth in the country in preseason polls. Mm-hmm. Which I, I guess it's the uh the way too early poll because I it, it still is early to have like a coach's poll and an AP poll. Yeah. Uh but still getting twenty fourth there after uh, missing the tournament. Yeah, they're missing the tournament and only going through a few rounds of the NIT. Uh, I guess to show just how important the Oakley is mm-hmm. uh, to the success of the team. Yeah, I agree. Oh, man, they're going to be so much fun. But before we, we start that, we're going to go ahead and call the, call the episode. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter, threads, and Instagram at Cats. If you want to follow us on a more personal, or if you e- rather, if you would like to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. And I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, one more week. And we mean it this time. Yeah, it, it's done. It's done. Imminent, even. Some would say imminent, and legitimately imminent. It, it is legitimately imminent. Perhaps less than a week, even. Perhaps. And uh, there may or may not be a sale. Of whatever it is. Of whatever it is. 
It's merch. It's merch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been saying it's, you know, to support the show financially. It's like, yeah. you know, what else would it have been? Yeah. Like, we're, we're launching a Patreon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People so, don't use the podcast subscription <laughs> feature. What would mm. Patreon do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we got new merch dropping here really soon. It's uh, We're switching stores, and mm-hmm. uh, we're also getting a ton of new designs uh, that I think are the best ones that we've ever had by far. And uh, the shirt materials and the prints are also much better than the ones that yeah, were before. So, uh, hopefully they won't be peeling. <laughs> Allegedly. At least the one I, I ordered as a sample did not peel. so Or did not fade or anything like that. Uh, I guess, knock on wood, that, that doesn't happen. But, yeah, there's, there's going to be new merch soon. There's going to be some awesome designs. Uh, and I, I think that you're going to really like them. I mean, I really like them. Well, we both I, really I, like them. Yeah, I, I love mine. <laughs> but yeah, also, if you guys want to check out the videos we posted on our YouTube channel regarding Will Howard and the debate of Jalen Daniels versus Jason Bean, you can check us out at, at Aggieville Alley Cats on YouTube as well. But for now, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>